My favorite thing about me engaging with Taylor Swift is that I don't, I listen to Taylor Swift as if it is the 1990s, which is actually awesome because I don't know of any of the songs until they're singles. I heard Karma, and to me, it was a brand new song. You know, that was literally in my top 10 that songs song? in 2020. Didn't listen to it. I was like, that seems great. I'll hear it when it's a single. And I heard it when it was a single, and I was like, damn, that song's amazing. It really is like literally just for Taylor Swift. She is the only artist that I engage with this way. I engage with her literally as if it is the 1990s. I do not know the songs until they're singles. Karma, Tristan's version. (laughs) It's kind of fun though, right? I feel like I'm like back into like V1 music listening. Music is probably less fun than it used to be in the 1990s. So you may be onto something. Yeah. Yeah. Stop listening to Spotify. (laughs) Start listening to the radio as a person who's never had a song on pop radio, except for my artist. <laughs> when you're listening to the new Illuminati Hotties song, Truck, out July 19th, listen to that on Spotify because it's not going to be on pop radio. Hello and welcome to episode 372 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carasino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. It's an important episode. It is. It's the Michael Bennett edition, baby. You're damned right it is. Maybe, I, I feel like if you had to go through, Mateo had me draft my favorite players of all time. Wide receivers, we picked, not favorite, he was like, can we do an all-time team? Okay. He, he drafted um, Jerry Rice. God, who else was? Oh, Cooper Cup was a wide receiver for him. I can't remember who the third one was. How does, how does Mateo know Jerry Rice? He knows all sorts of old baseball or old old football players. Okay. I, I of course went Jackson Smith and Jigba. I knew I knew that. I mean, obviously that being on the Pelton quotes today refreshed my memory. But and I was like, I gotta go with my dog DJ Hackett. <laughs> what? That's yeah. a choice. And then I really I I I sweated. I thought about it hard. And I was like, is it Bobby Ingram or is it Joe Jervicious? Which wow. one is it? Wow. But I was like, Bobby when we got to pass rush, he drafted Lamar Jackson as a pass rusher. Look, we're still working. Uh, <laughs> Did you mean Lamar Smith? <laughs> no. I was like, you already drafted Mahomes as your quarterback, dude. Uh, he was like, he could pa- rush the passer. And I'm like, he cannot. There's only one man who can rush the passer. And his name is Michael Bennett. Thank you. Well, well the Seahawks may not have rushed the passer well since Michael Bennett was here. Uh you know what, though? This is not the Walter Jones episode. That was last week. Mm-hmm. But did you did you know I managed to get Walter Jones on ESPN.com this week? You did? I did. How? In an NBA column. How? There was a an offer sheet by, made by the Utah Jazz to B-Ball Paul, Paul Reed, who, if he wasn't one of the players to watch, I'm going to be shocked. Okay. Like, yeah. he seems like an, the only way you could be more of a player to watch is if you were Serbian and played for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, the Nuggets, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, the Jazz signed him to an offer sheet that guaranteed uh, the following two seasons only if his team reaches the conference semifinals next year. Okay. So the Jazz are not very likely to make the conference semifinals next year. The Sixers, who have done this either five, I think it's five of the last six years, are very likely to. It's also funny that they put that and not the conference finals because they have been eliminated in the conference semifinals every time they've been there. So, the NBA just figured out poison pill contracts. They, they just, just learned got to the Walter Jones, Steve S- Hutchinson, Steve Hutchinson, yeah. Nate Perlison. Somehow they had not figured this out in all these years. Wow! 
Welcome to 2005 <laughs> at NBA. <laughs> Very rare you find a situation where the NBA is behind the NFL on contracts. This is this is the last one of them. What is what does Walt Jones have to do with it though? Because it's more that's a Steve Hutchinson thing. Well, you understand what the provision was in the Steve Hutchinson contract. It was it was something that I thought not it was games in played in the state of Minnesota. No, that was a Nate, that was, that was a Nate, Nate Burleson. Burleson. It was games played in left tackle contract. No, it was he had to be the highest paid offensive tackle on the team, uh, or the, the, I'm sorry, the offensive lineman on the team, or the entire contract guaranteed. And Walter Jones obviously was making more. Man, so so wait, that deal that they signed, it, the NBA is going to get rid of this. Literally. Yeah, but they just did a new CBA. They have they have to wait like six years to get rid of it and have the Paul Reed rule. Wow, the Paul Reed rule. I know, and Paul Reed this was is of course be out of control. Wow, are you the first person to talk about how this is going to go nuts? No. Okay, it's going to go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you aren't the first person because I'm the first person to talk about it on a Seattle sports about podcast. About NBA transactions, not the games. <laughs> oh, they're way more fun. <laughs> People the, look. The people around the lake were so excited about that one because it's just following transactions. They should be the text-based NBA. NBA. <laughs> I don't know if they've considered that one. It would really cut down on the carbon emissions. Look, it's like it's like when you're playing 2K. You don't actually play the games. You just sim through the games. You just do the transactions. NBA, all the fun parts. Well, this is a carrot for anyone who <laughs> followed us over because I referenced the fabulous Felden cast on the low post there earlier we this week. Welcome to none of you. In our discussion of the NBA Cup uh, as part of the NBA in-season tournament, which I believe, I, I, you know, I did not actually do the research of looking up the NBA Cup. But based on, I did see a cup trotted out in Las Vegas at the NBA Summer League. I assume it was the NBA Cup. So it was, it was a legitimate cup, cup. Is that the thing that we care about now is the NBA Cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the voice is already looking for a way to hone in on the NBA Cup action. <laughs> There are no photos online of the NBA Cup. Seven. That sure seems like the old Larry O'Brien trophy a lot of times. <laughs> but the, more no, marketing for again, the NBA they, Cup. They brought something out, and I saw it from the media section, and it was a cup. Maybe it's for the winner of the Summer League. I don't know. Maybe oh, that's wow. a cup. Oh, I'm down so, with cups for everything. Well, speaking of drinking things. Wow. That was a really good transition. Amazing transition. Yeah. You're welcome, yeah. the Low Post listener. <laughs> Our search for Seattle's best time. If you, you were you able really, to drop any of those on the low post? Yeah, that glow could never. You probably, you probably really enjoyed the Taylor Swift discussion at the top. Uh, Aren't we going to drop that to the bottom? Oh no! Oh, we're that's, leaving that at the that's top. Cold open. Okay. Uh, our search for Seattle's best IPA continues this week with the creatively named Sea Pine IPA from our friends at Sea Pine Brewing. This is a West Coast style IPA with tremendous citrus aromas. Lighter in body and highly drinkable. Finishes with a pleasant, non-harsh bitterness. Pairs excellently with spicy or salty foods. There you go. Okay, I'm just going to be real with you here. Ah. I think Sea Pine, I have a handful of breweries to me that are like, those are my dogs. Mm -hmm. Those breweries. Holy Mountain, obviously number one, in my opinion. Has, has not yet been in this search. But, but it, they they do a lot of uh, uh, yeah. They don't sour. really specialize in IPAs. They do a lot of sour beers. Cloudburst is number two. Even though I I think every Cloudburst beer is amazing, they don't make a lot of beers that are in the category of beers that I love. But I know that Cloudburst, everything they do is such high quality. Also, we want to get their brewmaster on the pod. It's right around the off or the corner from my office too. So uh, the one time every three months that I go to the office, very easy to pick up. Sea Pine Brewery, 
to me. You said you had sea pine. It was the first time in this entire search, maybe aside from Georgetown, but Georgetown's kind of like a, an old staple. Yeah. Or whatever. Georgetown, the availability but also, is so high. Also, like, you you were like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to think of Bodhi Zaffa. Exactly. Yes. You're like, I drink that all the time. You told me Sea Pine. If I'm at a bar and there's a bunch of taps or mm-hmm. whatever, I will almost always go for the Sea Pine beer. Interesting. So I don't feel you, like I've got a lot of Sea Pine experience. I know we've drank it on the pod previously. I, but I can't remember I, which I one. I couldn't pinpoint like, oh, I love this one Sea Pine beer. Right. Right. It's just like as An a overall brewery, work of quality. I feel like it is a very high quality brewery. So I'm excited to try this one. Oh, apparently we have not drank it on the pod at all. Because this is our first ever Sea Pine time. It's not in any of the notes, at least. So maybe I forgot to send you the notes that week. Well, but. cheers. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get to our toast because we have a number of them this week. Having not recorded for like nine days here, uh, this could have been the traditional Pelton cast bye week, but too much was going on in Seattle sports for us to have a bye week starting. We would with, never with this after tournament. that huge promotion on the low post. Exactly. Yeah, we had to strike while the iron was hot, just like we have with Tuck and Tuck our time. Going to record one of those. This beer is this is straight at the top, right there. One sip. This Put is a head of Bodie. It easily. Wow. This beer is. It's. I haven't said this is the most drinkable IPA we've had. This is good beer. Well, we start with a congratulations to Megan Rapinoe, who announced her retirement effective at the end of the current NWSL season, ahead of representing the USA as part of the USWNT in the World Cup. The two-time World Cup champion who won the Golden Ball for the 2019 World Cup, as well as that year's Ballon d'Or as the best female player in the world, has played exclusively for O.L. Reigns since the beginning of the NWSL in 2013 as the franchise all-time leader in goals and assists, earning NWSL best 11 honors once, second 11 honors five times. And with Megan Rapinoe following the playbook of her fiancé, Sue Bird, we're truly staring at the end of an era in Seattle sports. I, I was wondering about this about Megan Rapinoe. So she's probably not the best USWNT player of all time. No, probably not. But it's in the conversation. Let me just throw this out out there to you. I think it's got to be Mia Hamm still, probably. Pro- that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, whomever the best USWNT. Your US, the W is stands for women. So it's USWNT. Just USWNT. Sorry, it's a hard thing to say. USWNT player is. Oh, I see. Whomever that is is the greatest American soccer player of all time. Without question. Probably Megan Rapinoe, the the greatest American soccer we, players how, of all time. How many American male Ballon d'Or winners do you That's think That's what I'm saying, are? is the greatest American soccer players of all time, probably one through ten, are all USWNT players. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah. So Megan Rapinoe is probably one of, confidently, one of the ten greatest American, probably even higher. Yeah, I plausibly top five. This is not knowing enough about the history of of the team. I haven't like sat down and crunched the numbers on this one. So what I'm saying is that I think Megan Rapinoe is pretty confidently one of the five greatest American soccer players of all time. Yeah, it's a pretty big fucking country. Yeah, and it's been a country for a long time. I mean, not as long as a lot of countries, but yes, the, relative to the start of soccer, which yes. came after. Yes. It's not a new country. <laughs> if we're talking about like the top authors of all time, <laughs> the U.S. has not existed that long. I mean, look, still doing some numbers. Edgar Allan Poe, come on. 
uh, author, I don't know. All right? Doesn't Edgar Allan Poe, aside from being from Baltimore, seem British? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I really did not expect an Edgar Allan Poe reference on the It's podcast. just you're in Baltimore, and you're like, I'm at Edgar Allan Poe's grave or whatever. And yeah. you're like, wow, this British guy lived in Baltimore? <laughs> anyway, I think that is a very impressive feat yeah. to be one of the five greatest American soccer players of all time. I was reflecting back on the first time I remember being aware of Megan Rapinoe, which was, of course, during, I believe that was the 2007 World Cup. I'm dividing by four here correctly. Going back. It's uh, the year after the Men's World Cup? Yes. Okay. Uh, when she sang Born in the USA into one of the boom mics on the field. Wow. After Born scoring down a goal. In a dead man's town. So... And I th- assume that was on the 4th of July. I have not double-checked She's saying the whole verse and everything. <laughs> First kick I took was when I hit the ground. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm pretty sure it was all of that. <laughs> Son, <laughs> don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the 4th of July, I was on Woodby Island. An mm-hmm. island I have not previously visited. Uh-huh. And went to a brewery shortly after arriving on Woodby Island. And you know it was playing there. Born in the USA. Yeah, I like yes. that you're like, what a coincidence. No, and it wasn't like the whole album. It was just like that. Christmas that Day. Song. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was on. It was I couldn't ran- believe it. It was a random compilation of songs. It was not like a patriotic themed compilation. <laughs> but that just happened to be there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a maybe. Okay. <laughs> Halloween night. You wouldn't believe this. <laughs> I walk into a bar and what song is playing? The Monster Mash of all the songs. But anyways, that was a lot of World Cups ago. That's for the Zach Lowe fans. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that was 2011, not the 2007 World Cup. This is very different than the Lowe post. Oh, it is wildly different. The mascot uh, for You think Zach Lowe's ever had more than two beers in a, in a, in a night? During, yes, I'm sure at some point in his okay. life he has, yes. Just not well doing a podcast. Was this on the 4th of July? No, sadly it was not. It was in late June. Wow. The sto- whole story is ruined. She was just getting excited about it. Yeah. Okay. Getting anticipating it. So, and also, I guess it. I'm reading here, she didn't even sing all the verses. <laughs> I feel like you just would get, the chorus. I feel like you would get yellow carded for that. <laughs> Time wasting. <laughs> She's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, I'm really warming up in the second verse. <laughs> This first verse isn't going to be nearly as good. Uh, so, obviously, a major tribute for Rapino planned with after the Reigns or as part of the Reigns' final regular season home game on October 6th. And uh, surely we'll have plenty of Megan Rapino content leading up to that. All right. Sadly, not as personal as the Superbird gun content in this case. We'll see. <laughs> I doubt I'm going to play trivia with Megan Rapino at any point between Look, now and October 6th. There's time. There is. I can't rule it out. Uh, staying on the rain theme and the World Cup theme, congrats to Jordan Heidema and Quinn, who were officially named to Canada's roster for the World Cup. No surprises, both were key parts of the squad that won gold in the Tokyo Olympics two years ago. We let the Canadians win? We did. All right, congrats to George Kirby and Julio Rodriguez, who were named after we discussed the Mariners only having one representative in the I All-Star mean, game to the AL They All-Star went out teams. of their way to make sure. Like, there, there were a lot of teams who only had one representative, and it was like, 
They looked at the list of representatives and quality of performance and being from Seattle were not weighed equally. Well, it also, you know, saved on travel. This is quite good, the C Pine IPA. Yeah. But no, I know, I think George Kirby and Julio both were deserving. Yeah. That, that's not a, a question mark for them, but it was like they were going to do whatever they could. The All Star game is a marketing event. It is. And having Seattle players give up runs in Seattle uh, in front of that home crowd, that's an important event. No, Drawing walks. Feel at home. Uh, it was the first appearance for Kirby, obviously the second in as many years for Julio, who had a walk in his two plate appearances. As you referenced, Kirby pitched one inning, gave up a run on a Luis, Luis Arise single as the AL ultimately lost 3-2 on Tuesday night at T-Mobile Park. I will say my favorite thing about the... I haven't watched that many All-Star games. I'm kind of on and off on the All-Star game. A lot in the 90s. Oh, I remembered actually some. I was I, this was a TikTok, not a thing that I saw yesterday. But the Ted Williams All Star Game in '99. Yeah, I remember watching that live. Like there are a few that I'm like, I remember that moment. Uh, I really have a memory. I believe it was '94 in like Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, and it may have gone to extra innings. They, I after Mariners games this week, they, they've just been showing old home run derbies, and it was like Ken Griffey Jr. won with seven home runs. Well, the rules were very. <laughs> I know it's so hilarious. Where they're like Ken Griffey Jr. hit a whopping eight home runs in this one. That'll never be top. <laughs> oh, believe me, I have some takes on the format of the home run derby. Uh but. I do appreciate that everybody is mostly trying as hard as they can at baseball oh, in the game. Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh. It was Pittsburgh. I watched the home run derby there. That's, I was going to correct you on that, but okay. I wasn't confident enough. It was a 10 inning game, and L1 walked it off in the bottom of the 10th, 8 7. I, I saw that home run derby. Ken Griffey Jr. won it with seven home runs. Did he have eight in 93? I, I don't know. He might have had more. But the. They also just did one round. It was just like everybody had their shot. Ten outs. All right, hold on. Let's let's do the next test then. Okay. Congratulations to Julio Rodriguez and hitting a record forty one home runs <laughs> so in the opening round of Monday's home run dirty. Again, led all hitters in the first round, but did not win, losing to eventual champion Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with a score of twenty in the semifinals. What is your take on this? This format sucks. The The moment of the night was Julio hitting the 41 home runs. That's what everyone who was there was going to remember. Yeah. You have to make the best moment also what determines the actual event. Like, it can't peak in the first round. So you feel like they should Costanza just go out on top? Julio yeah. hit the 41 home runs and just end the home run derby? No, I don't know if you necessarily <laughs> when, do whenever that. Whenever Commissioner Rob Manfred <laughs> determines that the home run derby has reached its peak, uh, it then ends, whether uh, batters have hit or not. You know, we definitely need Rob Manfred to have more power. Yeah. That's what we need. That's all-star games and Rob Manfred choosing to end them has really worked out well for this. <laughs> <laughs> was that Manfred or was that back in the butt ceiling? Here? I think that that's Rob Manfred. I think he was it? the one who, who called it a tie. We're, we're now going to have to do more research here. <laughs> Uh, on the fly. I So you're saying you think they should do the format. I mean, three rounds is just a lot of rounds. So many rounds. Way too many rounds. Like, people that get tired. That also takes three fucking hours now. It was kind of bonkers the home how run long derby, it takes. Or the, sorry, the home run derby. The All-Star game was played was, less than three hours, wasn't The All-Star game was, like, about three hours. Uh -huh. But the home run derby takes almost as much time as the All-Star game takes now. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that... Uh, the two-and-a-half-minute format, like, as they do it, I, I would be okay with two rounds, but I kind of like the idea of the format that they have. Give them one round, hit as many home runs as you can, that's it. Yeah. Why do you need two rounds? Is there anything that is inherently, like, 
demonstrative of your ability to hit home runs by being uh, like, look, I love Randy Rosarina. And I think he's obviously like one of the most exciting baseball players there is. I'll tell you about him later. You don't know who he is. I'm but, familiar with the name. <laughs> he, he had some sort of exciting play in the playoffs. Like well, he played maybe. for for uh, Mexico in the World Baseball Classic and it was exciting. But like, but there was some sort of like steal of home or something along those lines. Rainier Rosarina, his strategy was not necessarily about like hitting the most home runs. It shouldn't be that much of a strategy game. It should just be like, who can hit the most home runs? Yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah. the, I mean, the, uh, the other thing, I was thinking of this too, that the MLB does right versus the NBA. The dunk contest has exclusively players I've never heard of. Well. Look, you probably don't even remember the white guy who won this year. I, uh, I remember Mac McClung. I, I, actually, I remember Mac. that name too. But like, other, uh, have you seen the crossover grid thing? No. It's out there. It's like in various different sports. I think it start, may have started in MLB. What what crossover grade? So, like, basically they'll say Mariners and Orioles, and you have to name someone who played for both of those oh, teams. Oh, immaculate grade, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. In the NBA knockoff <laughs> version, it's called crossover grade. Okay. Uh, and obviously God, you're you so NBA-pilled that you have to talk to me about the knockoff version? Oh, I forgot that it was called immaculate grade. Okay. okay. I know so what immaculate grade is. I literally think you're talking at the crossover tournament with Jamal Craw- Crawford. It's later in the toes. Grid. It's later in the toes. Oh, man. If they could come up with a more complicated scheduling format <laughs> based on the home run derby, uh, you would name Richie Amaral, obviously. Uh-huh. And you would, and it would pop up 0.1%. Yeah. I've named that. Uh, oh, so one of them was like slam dunk contest participant. Okay. And the team was the Utah Jazz. And they had a player win the slam dunk contest in, within the last 10 years. Zero memory of that. What? Who was it? Jeremy Evans. I may have even been there for the Jeremy <laughs> Evans dunk contest, and it is gone. I mean, it's not like you remember who wins the home run derby. Last year, I was True. like, I don't know. Somebody won it. I know that Ken Griffey Jr. has won it, and I know that Pete Alonso has won it. I didn't watch, but people have told me that he's won it multiple times. Someone asked me Tuesday night afterwards who won the home run derby, and I was like, look, my interest in the home run derby faded the second that Julio was eliminated. I mean, I remember who won this year, I, two I did, days ago. I did see, I did had seen a headline that Vlad Jr. had become the, had joined his dad winning it, which that was very cool. It wasn't that say. cool. But also, like, it would, yes, it would have been much cooler. The if you moment in the stadium. Like, for a second, I was like, damn, I probably should have tried to go. And then when Humi was eliminated, I was like, this sucks. Fuck the home run derby. It's <laughs> like, my interest in the home run derby extends to Julio being a participant in it. Wow, Arisa Reina had three home runs in the World Series as a rookie? That's pretty impressive. Huh. He's like the coolest player of all time. He's up there. Disrespectful to King Griffey Jr. And Julio. He's the third coolest player of all time. The coolest non-Mariners center fielder. <clears throat> One Hagerty. <laughs> he also qualifies as a Mariners center fielder. <clears throat> anyway, so, yeah, the format's bullshit. Yeah. You, but also, 41 home runs? He was just... Oh, it was so impressive to watch. I don't like Julio having... There was a thing where... I can't remember what they were talking about. They were talking about perfect games. And to me, I always think Honor's got... Is that the right name? Not Honor's no. Galarraga. Mondo Galarraga has like one of the most impressive perfect games of all time. All the way, by the way, it was 2002. It was the MLB All Star Game tie that was way back in the butt ceiling year. Was it really? Yeah. Oh. I don't. This is the dead ball era to me. <laughs> Baseball from like 1999 through 2000. And I did, when was Jose Reyes good? 
I started playing fantasy baseball in like 07. So I've got like, I dipped in for a second and then yeah. I'm back out till 2021. <laughs> it was the Robinson Cano hot second. I know, I know about Jimmy Rollins and Jose Reyes. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Whatever. It I lost matter. my train of thought. It doesn't matter. It, it, is, it, it sucks being the... Because over time, those impressive moments, we will remember them. But being the champion, like the stories in the future, there, there's going to be an erasure of... Like they'll talk about the most, the biggest rounds, and so yeah. we'll still see Julio there. Yeah, but the champion does matter. It does. So not that it doesn't matter. Literally, nothing matters. I've covered this a lot, but like <clears throat> to the new listeners for the love. <laughs> yeah. This is Pelton Cast. By the way, check out the uh, check out if you somehow managed to hang in there this long. Check out the Pelton Cast glossary. I don't know if we have nihil- Pelton Cast nihilism on there, but we may need to add it. You understand what I'm saying, though? That being the champion, like Vlad and his dad. Those yeah. things matter. And it would be nice for Julio to win a championship. I agree. So, yeah, those are the two things. I will say, I'll give it up to baseball. They've got people trying in their all-star game, yep. and they've got good players in their home run derby. Luis Robert got hurt. We'll see if they have good players next year. But they always <sighs> seem to. All right, well, you the hitters this. aren't scared. NBA players are scared. This is That's what it is, because it's a fucking internet league. Oh, my God. It comes back to what I was talking about earlier. It is all about the fucking text-based league, because people can't... Their NBA players are so scared of Twitter fingers. If if a Julio loses in the second round, he's not like, wow, I'm going to get roasted on Twitter for this. But if there's an uh, NBA... I don't think it's that. No, I think it's just it there's no All-star upside. players. If they were all-star... What is the upside for winning the home run derby? But, like, baseball players are inherently unfamous. NBA players are inherently famous. I don't so know maybe if that's, that's exactly a true. I mean, I suppose Julio is now in T-Mobile ads, but like... I've got many... a fucking cereal box with Julio Rodriguez on it, and he didn't win the home run derby. And guess what? No one cares. It's not like people are like, wow, Julio Rodriguez is a joke. He couldn't even win the home run derby. But that's my point, is because of the fact that people aren't like, Julio Rodriguez must be the most amazing home run derby participant of all time. Whereas people have these imagined grandiose notions of what LeBron James would do in the dunk contest that are not in any way correlated to what LeBron James would actually do in the dunk contest. It's basically like the expectations that were on Wemby before his game last Friday. Maybe. Like he would have had to like score 50 points and grab 30 rebounds and block 20 shots and score while doing a handstand for anyone to like be satisfied. And nobody even watched <laughs> Nobody was paying attention. They just wanted to read the tweets about it. <laughs> Maybe having a tweet-based sport is not the best thing. Many people had showed up to uh, in attendance at the arena. Oh, let me tell you, there was eight thousand strong. What in the smallest arena? It was, no, I think they sold seventeen thousand. Is it at the real arena or is it the, the, still at UNLV? It's still at UNLV, but they that's a big seventeen thousand tickets there. I mean, that also includes because they have the two gyms. Is Tark still coaching? R.I.P. Jerry, Jerry Tarkanian. Uh, Man, you understand what you I'm know, saying? You know, if I was looking at the all banners, of the good players participate in the dunk contest, I agree it wouldn't be better. matter. If LeBron James loses to Vince Carter in the dunk contest, nobody's like, wow, LeBron James is a joke. I think that actually many people would. I, again, I, I'd encourage you to look at the internet. Participate sometime. in the discourse. No. <laughs> I would actually encourage you not to. I would encourage everyone to opt out of it. So we're reaching the nearing the half hour mark and still on our toes. Uh, the crossover. 
begins play this go. weekend at SP. Skipping that uh, Sounders. No, we're going to come back to that. Okay. But I just wanted to mention the crossover <laughs> since you you brought it up in reference to the crossover grid. The crossover <laughs> crossover grid will be only debuting that website soon. It's uh, played for like you know the names of the teams in the crossover, <laughs> and then real NBA teams. Crossover grid. That's actually what the NBA one's called. I would do way better at that than in the baseball one. I'm sure you would. Uh, lastly, this week, congratulations to Leo Chu, named MLS Player of the Match Day, after scoring a pair of goals in the Sounders' three-two win at Vancouver on Saturday. All right, do we, do we want to talk Vegas food? I mean, you tell me. I wasn't in Vegas, so I went. To I best, was relatively recently. <laughs> I went to Best Friend back-to-back nights. Are you kidding me? <laughs> It was very convenient. I happened to be staying in the park MGM those two nights. You were so. staying at the hotel? Yeah. Oh, I thought you stayed in a different, like some weird hotel. Well, I started at the favorite of NBA writers. Uh, Where's that? It's off the strip. I'm sure it's horrible if it's a favorite of NBA writers. But <laughs> sorry, low post fans. <laughs> They're all really good, <laughs> really cool people. <laughs> I don't know if that's a low post listener. <laughs> This is my favorite bit we've done yet. <laughs> we had multiple love bus guests hanging out there, though. Tim <laughs> Did you? And I. You and Tim Bond. <laughs> dope. <laughs> Seems like a dope spot. Anyway, <laughs> you went to the Park MGM after, and then you went to Best Friend two days in a row. What did you get? It's actually great because I was really able to explore the studio space on the menu. How much more? A lot more. What else? The first night, I was responsible for ordering for the table because I was the only one who had been there previously. Okay, what'd you go and for? got rave reviews off of my order. I, I think I still Well, you're notes. kind of cheating a little bit. You know what I mean? Cheating? <laughs> Going to a restaurant is cheating? Uh, let's see here. I've got the list here. You, we, you so already did... had me calling out really good items beforehand. You're just... You're just... The squash did, did get solid reviews. Uh, we had the Korean wings. Okay, I, I haven't had those. I did not have that night, but had the next night. They were very good, much better than the fried chicken. Yeah, the fried chicken was not not a winner. The fries were very solid. Lumpia dumplings were good. Uh, the These sti- are all new foods to me. Yeah, the sticky ribs I didn't didn't think that were that outstanding. Sticky ribs? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't. The sauce is sticky. I don't know. All right, that sounds uh, great. Kimchi fried rice was quite good. Pork oh, belly yeah. hot pot I didn't love. And then we did the 34-ounce cowboy chop because we had a group of seven of us eating. What was that? That's the, like, steak that they slice? T-bone steak. All right. It was it was outstanding. But we ran that one back again the next night. Really? Uh, the How next night. How does that run? Damn. Uh, that's, that's 160. 160 for it? Yeah, but, yeah, but you know those NBA people. writers, right, Lopo's fans? Yeah. <laughs> 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 The next night, as long as they're not part of the New York Times we, sports room, we tried. That was unfortunate news. Uh, <sighs> we tried the kimchi carbonara. Huge standout. Really massive winner. Kimchi carbonara. We had to run back a second plate of that. Really? Yeah. This is actually good news for me. I don't know. Why I'm complaining because when I go with you again, you're gonna know what's up. Exactly. I've again. I've and there's still stuff on the menu I have not had. We're gonna be able to curate friend. like a pretty excellent meal. I am quite confident of it, and there will be zero corn consumed at any point. Oh. There was not at any point during this fucking corn. during this trip. Did I, you have any slushies? Did we have slushies? I did have a slushie. We didn't I have any slushies. You did not slushies, right? I had a margarita slushie. <clears throat> Way too sweet. It was not good. Really? Very disappointing. Wow. Stuck to Modelo the next night. That's kind of like when you're at happy. the pool. Like, it's really sweet when you get the slushies at the pool, but you're like, it's 100 degrees. I don't care. I'm drunk and it's 11 a.m. And it's 100 degrees out. 
It was really hot there, right? I mean, it wasn't by July in Vegas standards necessarily that hot, but really? yes. Uh, friend of the pod, Dan Feldman, every oh, day. Name dropping again. Made the walk over from, he was he was like you staying at the Cosmopolitan, from there to the arena every day. He walked from the Cosmo in to the, the arena? In the afternoon. Was he pouring sweat when he got there? He wasn't. Huh. He was red. I yeah. guess I'm impressed with Dan Feldman. Yeah. Also, staying at the Cosmo, pretty nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's still stuff on the menu that I'm curious about that I have not tried. We, neither night did we have the birria ramen, which I'm sure is That seems like that's kind of hard to share. That's that's also my sense, but it's the place that is designed for sharing stuff. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they figure it out. Eggplant schnitzel? Yeah. Uh, the uni dynamite rice was, like, solid, not outstanding. So... Yeah, I mean, there's still some things, so we're going to have to go back. I mean, I'm down for it. I Again, it was one of my favorite meals. So I think if we could curate it even more, that'd be even better. I agree. All right. I, I, did, I did miss our waiter a little bit. It was a different waiter? Different, Two different waiters. Well, yeah, it'd be kind of strange if it was the same day. <clears throat> no, I mean, I think I saw one. the dude brought me my, my margarita slushie. He just happened to be working at a different area of the room. Uh, also want to shout out, by the way, while we're here, the uh, the Fry Sauce Burgers, the Burger of the Week this week at Low Woody's in honor of National Friday on Thursday, which feels like they should have National Friday always on Friday, shouldn't they? I, I agree. We also should probably shout out the home team location yeah. opening. I thought, about, I thought about going to the opening. As did I. To the grand opening party. And I think I had children's baseball to do or something like that. I actually did have children's baseball to do, so I wasn't able to go. But I had a, I had a friend who went and said it was great. Nice. All right, it's time for the return of our NBA Seattle update. Oh, I thought it was Sponsored time for your favorite segment. <laughs> by Pagliacci Pizza. Because we got our strongest statement yet by NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, who was asked about expansion at the Associated Press Sports Editors Conference in Las Vegas simultaneous with Summer League, and said, We will turn to expansion once these new media deals, those are the TV deals, obviously, are done. Although I guess now they're maybe streaming, so maybe they are media deals and not TV. It's not a sure thing, but as I've said before, I think it's natural that organizations grow over time. We will look at this market, referring to Las Vegas. There's no doubt there's enormous interest in Seattle. That's not a secret. There are other markets that have indicated interest. For the people who hear or read about this interview, we are not engaged in that process now. We're not taking meetings right now with any potential groups, so please don't call us. What we're saying to everyone privately is the same thing I'm saying publicly, that there will be a very open process at the time already to consider expansion. But that's not yet. That's not yet now. Okay. Are you taking this at face value? I am. I mean, it matches everything I previously thought. But again, it's just it's just nice to see. It's like you thought when I when I became more positive about expansion. So it's positive, but what I mean by face value is not face value. Oh, that it's not done. Yes. Are you taking this at face value? Because we're obviously we know that it's happening. Like we're not stupid. We understand these conversations are going on. The only piece that I'm asking you about. Yeah. Do you take as face value is? We're not taking meetings right now with any potential groups. And I will answer the question to you of why they're not, if you want to ask me why. And that is because they already have the groups. There's no taking meetings. No, I meetings. do not think they already have the groups. I think the groups are LeBron James. I do not think they have already have the groups. You don't think so? No. Okay. I think those groups are interested. But they know those groups are interested. Yeah. There's no way that there haven't been back channel conversations with those groups. 
I, I mean, I have no inside info here. What, I what think does they it would... mean by the media deals? They're going to finish them and then have this? Or is there a place for those teams in those media deals? TBD. Okay. Because it wouldn't make sense for them to negotiate media deals, get them done, and then be like, well, now there's two teams. You know how the, the yeah, like the Big Ten had the clauses if, if they expanded, right? Yeah, if yeah. the Big Ten expands. Well, they're, they're not expanding at the moment. Uh, since Kevin Warren is no longer the commissioner, no one is making statements, statements about expansion is inevitable or growth is inevitable eh, or whatever. The Big Ten's expanding. At some point. The Big Ten is expanding soon. The Pac-12 is dead. Okay. The well, Pac-12 is as good as dead. We may get some news on that before too long. I Within suppose. the next decade, the Pac-12 will not be a conference. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not concerned about the next decade. I'm concerned about the next two years. Well, it's going to be a conference for the next two years. Okay, I'm uh, concerned about the next five years. I, for one, think that's uh, positive news. The Pac-12 part of it or the NBA expansion? No, no, the NBA expansion part. Okay. We'll talk about the Pac-12 later. Sure. But <laughs> Will we? The, and not today. Oh, I see. The NBA expansion part. For the low-press fans, you know, you'll have to come back on a later episode. <laughs> <laughs> the NBA expansion part of it, I think, is, again, I've told you over and over and over again that I think this is done. Look, maybe it's not as done. Given these quotes, I'm willing to take them. If you're telling me, I should take them. I, mean, at I don't face think life. the NBA wants to discourage other markets, especially given the possibility that teams do eventually that relocate. they want to pillage the cities for better deals. Given the possibility the teams eventually relocate, <clears throat> the you know, one of the dumbest arguments out there was, well, the NBA can't expand to Seattle because then how will they, you know, convince teams to pony up for new arenas? There's always a Shelby. Yeah, there will never be a football team in Los Angeles. <laughs> Uh, I I have a long complaining perspective about this and how teams relate to cities that I was thinking about this weekend as it pertained to the Seattle Mariners and some comments. Uh, but I'm going to let that go for later. Oh. Not for later today. <laughs> I, I just, I felt like I was like ESPN's Kevin Pelton. ESPN, sorry, ESPN senior writer Kevin Pelton. That's your new name. <laughs> is is not going to let me talk about this. Had that title for a few years now. It's new to the Pelton cast. <laughs> okay. Into the lip us. <laughs> I was like, ESPN senior writer Kevin Pelton doesn't want me to talk about uh, cities, how they relate to professional sports franchises, and how they relate to services that are provided in cities. The the unhoused population. Yes. But I think that there, um, there are relationships between those two things that people are not considering. <clears throat> in terms of... In terms of funding of campaigns? I mean, I not, no, no, not funding of campaigns necessarily, but looking for taxpayer dollar, look, looking for tax breaks, but then also expecting things I in see. cities that are the basically a, a concern of the state. And if there's no money available for the state, housing people is a state concern, right? I don't, I don't know. I understand how you're using the word concern, but I feel like it, it's a... It is a, a responsibility of the state to house the people who live in it. Sure. Not the state as in Washington State. The state as in, like, the institution of government. Yes. It, that, is the, that is the responsibility of the state, is to house the people that live within it. And, right? And if, if funds if, are instead spent... On professional stadiums, sports teams yes. and maintaining professional sports teams and stadiums and giving tax breaks, but then not having enough money to house the people within your state and then complaining about those people because it bothers your wealthy fans who don't even live in your fucking city who are coming in from Bellevue. 
I'm sure who are coming in from the south end, who are coming in from Everett, and having those people be terrified of the people who live in your city, but you still want to be there, you still want the tax breaks, but you don't want them to have any budget to be able to take care of the problems that are happening within the state. That is a fucked up relationship. I'm I'm sure that many of the murders anyway, comes from with ESPN, come within, ESPN from, senior writer Kevin Pelton doesn't want me to talk about this. <laughs> I, I would be careful with this argument because I do think it runs too much into like the citizens for better things argument that you know if we're being honest. You you agree with the citizens for more important things? If we're being honest here. The nope. citizens for more important things. Look, I don't know if those motherfuckers were asking for the right more important things because there are groups that are not able to lobby for themselves. I, and and I lobbyists are the problem here. I think right? one of, I mean, not the problem, but they're, like they're cor- corporate interests are the problem in this case. And there are people who are not spending money and there are people who are not able to lobby for themselves, right? But there are people also who <laughs> do spend money and who can complain about things that do have swaying power and those people get very upset when they see an unhoused person. I think you're making this argument in a very confusing way. I Now, my issue with that argument is I don't think that the de- debate is necessarily housing services or funding stadiums. We have more than enough wealth in our society to do both of those things. I agree. And we have chosen be, not to do that. We could be taxing billionaires, of which there are many in the city of Seattle. But again, this is all based on some reporting by Erica C. Barnett on Publicola about the Mariners requesting an encampment to be removed near T-Mobile Park uh, in relation to... It, it, it says opening day last year. I, I have not yet read the story. I don't know whether it was 2022 or 2023. This was, yes, this was April 2022. I hate everything about the Mariners except for the players. And I... Scott Service? Yeah, Scott Service is fine. That, that he's at the level of fine. But every other thing about the Mariners, I hate. I'm sure many individuals in the Mariners are not responsible for this request. All right, on that note, it's time for what will undoubtedly positive, positive about the Mariners. be the favorite segment of the Low Post listener. <laughs> Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. I just want to let you know a little something for this here take hot take. It feels really strange going into this hot take. (laughs) Remember last week when I said this team was the anti-2000 Mariners? 2001. Anti-2001 Mariners? I mean, they could be the anti-2000 Mariners. They have not bunted to win a single playoff series yet. That happened? I think that's how they scored the winning run against the White Sox. God, I hate all the old Mariners. Well, Ichiro wasn't even on the team. (laughs) And they managed to bunt to win a series. Well, I just want to let you know. I was right! (laughs) Because this last week and weekend, the Soto Mojo, the fun differential, the refuse to lose, the chaos ball, well, baby, it's back. A switch flipped the night the Mariners blew that four-run lead to the Rays, and they are on now in a series against the Astros, who previously, look, if there is anybody who is more hateable, I just can't even imagine the corporate infrastructure of the fucking Houston Astros. <laughs> I can, like, the Mariners probably seem lovable. This is not even part of the take. The Mariners probably seem lovable compared to the Houston Astros ownership group. Anyway, who previously were unbeatable for the Mariners, they probably should have gotten the four-game sweep 
they looked unstoppable coming back from deficits, pitching, making key hits, and as I watched Julio's home run derby end with a whimper, George Kirby give up the first run of the game for the AL in the All-Star game, I realized this isn't just the anti-2001 Mariners. They're the anti-2022 Mariners. Not a lot of luck. No big celebration around the All-Star game, even though it's in Seattle. Remember how excited we were about the Mariners last All-Star game? I do. We're not right now, aside from this last week. This is going to be about remember, wins. Remember when we did a Mariners emergency pod? On the, uh, we, we've done a couple, right? Yes. This is going to be about wins, and I'm here to predict it. No! Foresee it <laughs> right now. The Mariners will have the best record in the American League in the second half of the season. And this is how they're different than last year's team. They will win the AL West. No wild card around here. Wow. Let the Rangers have their five all-stars on the field in July. Because the Mariners will have nine players on the field in October. I think they play games in the the schedule. (laughs) And where did you hear it first? the most trusted name and takes right here on the Pelton cast. <laughs> and that's why you're getting a bonus take. Oh, wow, a bonus take. I love seeing Seattle fans with the come here Shohei chant. That was so fun. And well, it was come to Seattle. Come to chant. Seattle, Shohei. Yeah. And it is the last we will hear of the Mariners in the Shohei Derby because I'm so sorry to say this. It reminded me, this is such a perfect callback here. It reminded me of a night a little over 15 years ago when fans chanted, save our Sonics. So fucking inspiring, right? I wasn't there, but I heard a whole podcast about it. And what happened after that? The billionaires in the league, they were probably 100 millionaires at the time. Look, times have changed, of course. The billionaires in the league moved the team to Oklahoma City. It's very cute that fans think they matter. But... This is a foregone conclusion because who matters in major professional sports are the owners and their willingness to spend and compete. And the second this team was sold to John Stanton, the chances of Shohei signing in Seattle went down to zero. I can guarantee you that agents, Shohei Otani himself, saw the Mariners last offseason. They saw the tenure of Robinson Cano. And he is done playing for a team that is not going to the playoffs because they're unwilling to spend. You better believe a lot in take number one if you think Shohei is coming here. Because that is the kind of season it would take to lure him. And I'm so sorry to say this again. I know the Mariners. Much like many other teams have already considered a dollar amount, right? They're there. They're crunching the numbers. They've considered an amount they're willing to spend for Shohei already. And I would love to know what that amount is because on their hypothetical books, because I can guarantee you it is millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars short of what he's actually going to sign for. I love imagining the Mariners quietly crumpling up the piece of paper under the table that they expected to slide over. The dollar amount that they imagined their heads for months and they were like, wow, we're going to offer this crumbling, falling apart like Kendall Roy at the boardroom. I want to see it! Shohei is going to be the first billion-dollar player, we'll see, and at least $750 million, and it is not going to be in Seattle. But hey, maybe they will eventually save our Sonics. Wow. 
That was an emotional swing. That may as well have been a, a, an episode of The Bear season two in terms of the number of emotions. I, felt I, I didn't even know we were doing the Sonics thing. I love that it tied into it. <laughs> My favorite part is imagining someone who like didn't understand that Shohei Otani was a free agent at season's end and being like thinking that it was some sort of like uh, travel or, you know, visitors bureau thing pitch like Shohei already comes to Seattle multiple times every year on the schedule he doesn't yeah. need to like plan that was a trip the other in thing. December but I I was even like guilty of it myself being like what a beautiful weekend here you know it's so sunny Shohei's I was like Shohei's been to Seattle <laughs> yeah, he <knows laughs> he's been to like. Seattle in April and he's been to Seattle in October like Shohei has been to Seattle I mean Seattle in April actually might be nice for Shohei Otani the pitcher not as good for Shohei Otani the hitter I it just <clears throat> I I do not personally believe in the dollar amount that the Mariners are willing to spend. And players don't necessarily always sign for the most money, but there's going... San Francisco, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Yankees, the Phillies. There are teams who are out there, Cubs. There's so many teams out there who I can confidently say will be able to get to a higher dollar amount for Shohei. It would have to be a for the love of the city in Seattle. So here's what I would tell you is you mentioned the Mariners last offseason. And I think the thing to remember about the Mariners last offseason is that everyone in Seattle remembers the Mariners last offseason. And you know what tends to make teams desperate to spend a lot of money to sign a free agent when they need to maintain the fan base? You're like, not, you're you're not can, thinking <clears throat> that is, this is a different type of money. Why this did, is the it, most but, expensive player in baseball history. Okay, but Adrian Beltre and Richie Sexton relative to the salaries in 2003. We are talking about a different... We are talking about you are committing basically your salary cap for the next... For the Mariners, the amount of money that they're confidently willing to spend for the next 12 years, 10 years, 14 years, something like that. Like legitimately show he would... I think he would need... He would need the biggest contract in baseball history plus a lot. And I'm not convinced that John Stanton is willing to spend. It is a risk that I don't think John Stanton is willing to take. And I think he's he's going to look at it and say, we might get four years of Shohei at market value, and we might have 10 years of Shohei at not market value. But that's that's way too logical. Again, you're thinking about it from a logical standpoint. You John need to think Stanton about it doesn't is, have the money, and he's not willing to spend the money. I think John Stanton does have the money. Whether he's willing to spend the money is a different question. He has not shown that he's willing to spend the money at any point. There's will, nothing that has happened in the that. history of the Seattle Mariners that has shown that he's willing to. But also, if you're Shohei, you have to know in your head, if I sign with the Giants... I'm probably not going to be the only player. If I sign with the Dodgers... But he knows he's not going to be the only player because Julio is here. But two, I, Shohei Otani has been on a team with, with another friend. pretty good yeah. hitter. You, the Mariners are already better than the Angels. So that's the problem with this argument. The Mariners are already better than the Angels. And they don't have Shohei Otani. The Angels have Shohei Otani. I understand that. He's he's looking at getting to a team. Look, the Angels don't spend more than anybody else. There are teams again. Like I don't think he's signing in San Diego, but I I would if I had to wager, I feel like San Francisco is a pretty exciting one. I mean, supposedly that was the other team that was the closest to signing him when he came from. I think MVP. he's most like. I think the Mariners have an advantage by being on the West Coast. They are going to need to look at a dollar amount that is so much more than the Mariners have ever spent. That is basically, what was the Cano deal? 300 million, something like that? 330? 
I want to say. They are going to have to look at a deal that is probably more than double the most they have ever spent on a player. For sure. But it's still going to be a large amount more than any of these teams have spent on a player if it's the largest contract but in baseball history. But the Giants had an offer on the table. Aaron Judge was ready to sign there. And I don't believe that if the Giants had signed Aaron Judge that they would be out of the show hay sweepstakes. I suppose. There's also just more money. No, it was $240 million. Pathetic. But back then, contracts only lasted 10 years. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it was fun. What you're actually saying, though, to go back to your original take, is that We're the Mariners... Best record in the league, baby. Let's an- fucking go! That they're the anti-2002 Mariners. Because I've often said, the movie Moneyball is actually, or in the book, is actually the story of how the Seattle Mariners <laughs> blew the lead in the AL West <laughs> in 2002. Uh, there's a line, having recently reread the book, where Michael Lewis points out that the standings in the AL West, the top three, entirely flipped from midseason to the end of the season. The A's were in third place, the Mariners were in first place, and they reversed. The, that was the first year the Mariners missed the playoffs. And oh, no, they'd missed the playoffs actually a lot of years before then. <laughs> Thanks. Like, probably like 30. <laughs> Thanks. That, that, was, was, that was actually not the first year they missed the playoffs. Oh, no, they'd had a playoff drought for many years okay, before thanks. then. Thanks. I'm speaking about the... They actually didn't go to the playoffs oh. until 1995. Okay. Yeah. But back then, <laughs> only two teams made the playoffs. I mean, during the era where multiple teams... Played. Well, now the Mariners would have made the playoffs then, too. Probably <laughs> yes, would have beaten the A's. <laughs> they probably would have. I love the alternate history of Moneyball, where the Mariners, they're just like, yeah, sure, we'll win the third wild card and crush you in the playoffs. <laughs> Write a book about it. <laughs> No one was writing a book about those Mariners, thank God. Uh, <laughs> the Mariners are six games back of the Texas Rangers at present, four games back of the Astros. Six games back of the Rangers, when the Rangers have had an unprecedentedly great first half, is kind of a great place to be. It could be a lot worse. Uh, as much as the Mariners have underperformed their point, their run differential, which is now fifth best in the AL, the Rangers have frankly significantly underperformed their run differential, which is basically I- identical to the Rays, who are... Five games ahead of them in the standings. And uh, identical also to the Braves, basically, who are nine games ahead of them in the standings. Baseball is such a funny sport because when you look at it at any given time, you're like, I can't imagine any team losing. And then that team that you can't imagine losing goes on a 12-game losing streak. And you see the Angels, who are ahead of the Mariners and are now behind the Mariners, who are in a steep slide. And the conversation, I don't think they're going to trade Shohei. I would be shocked if they trade Shohei. But... It's not impossible. Yeah. And if you are the Angels, you say, we're giving up on the season. We know you'd have to be so confident that he wasn't resigning there. And you'd have to be like, we just need to remake our farm system or whatever based upon the show deal. I mean, Logically, they should fucking yeah. Dame Lillard it up and trade him. <laughs> but like one half of a season of ticket sales ain't worth everything you're going to get for trading Shohei. If I was advising them, I would do it, right? Tank Storm, do it. But <laughs> the the reality is I don't think they're going to. But the Angels have still slid behind the Mariners, and that losing streak hasn't come for the Rangers yet, and it's going to. Well, they have lost two in a row going into the break. All right, the Mariners fan graph playoffs odds at 23% at the moment. Not bad. Oh, we'll take it. I like those odds. Uh, let's get into the roundup, starting with Kraken, who agreed to two-year deals with restricted free agent defensemen Will Borgen and Cale Fleury. Vince Dunn and Cole Lynn remain restricted free agents for the Kraken. They also added veteran winger Pierre-Edouard 
Belmar on a one-year deal. Belmar spent the past two seasons with Tampa Bay, reaching the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals, having previously appeared in them with the Vegas Golden Knights in 2018. He also is reuniting with Kraken coach Dave Hextall. He played for him in Philadelphia before that. Uh, at this stage of his career, age 38, Belmar probably providing depth and leadership more than anything else. Uh, ESPN graded the Kraken's offseason so far in A- minus in a piece co-written by third Pelton brother Ryan S. Clark. All right. We'll take it. Seattle Sounders got a wild derby win. Sorry, derby win started Saturday night. <laughs> Excuse me, that was derby. Sometimes I read words in the rundown, and in I'm the right like, way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I have to remember it does not transmit to the, the Queen's English. <laughs> Saturday night in Vancouver, the only goal in the first half went to the Whitecaps, and the Sounders will still down one nothing in the 60th minute before Leo Chu got his first goal to equalize off a corner. Vancouver surged back ahead in the 72nd minute, and I recall seeing that come through on Twitter and being like, well, that was fun while it lasted. But the, but the Sounders answered again four minutes later through a second Leo Chu goal, again assisted by Jackson Reagan, this time getting on the end of a great header by Reagan from a free kick. The teams went into stoppage time tied. The Whitecaps were reduced to 10 men for a second yellow card. And I believe this was on the subsequent restart. The Sounders took advantage in stoppage time with Yaimar Gomez Andrade slotting home the winner with his left foot. When I saw that he had scored a goal to win this, I would have given you a thousand to one odds that it was anything but a header. But (laughs) lo and behold, it was Yaimar with his left foot from inside the box. A pretty clinical finish for someone with five MLS goals in the four seasons. Uh, it was a deserved win with the Sounders dominating possession and creating 2.7 expected goals to 1.1 for Vancouver. They then lost 2 nothing Wednesday night in San Jose before we recorded this, uh, going behind in the 19th minute on a penalty. Then Concedia's second in the 65th minute never found the net on nine shots, just two on goal. Stephen Cleveland started both of those matches in goal due to a concussion suffered by Stephen Fry in practice. We'll see if Fry is able to return at the weekend. The results put the Sounders in third place in the West Standings with LAFC now having almost completely made up their games in hand, just have one remaining more than the Sounders. Uh, Sounders one point ahead of Real Salt Lake in an identical number of matches. On Saturday, they'll host FC Dallas, which comes in tied for six in the West with 29 points from 22 matches. And the fact that may interest only me, all three Texas teams in MLS have either 28 or 29 points. Oh, well, Rain were scoreless in their final game before the World Cup break, getting outshot 16-5 at Orlando. That loss dropped the Rain into a tie for fourth in the NWSL standings. League play won't resume until August, although the Rain will play a pair of Challenge Cup games before then, starting on July 28th. Uh, new Olympic Lyon CEO Santiago Cucci told RMC Sport that the sale of the rain following the takeover of OL Feminine by Washington Spirit owner Michelle King will happen, quote, quickly due to financial issues for OL, uh, said that they have more than one potential buyer and the price will be above the $53 million cost of the latest NWSL expansion team in the Bay Area. So stay tuned on that one. Seattle Storm and news that it's exciting to Tristan. Hello. We're heading into the All-Star break on a season worst seven-game losing streak. What was the joke that I made about somebody had more more losses or more like somebody had more I, All-Star I, games than the team had wins? Oh, more thirty-point yeah. games than the team had wins. Well, yes, it was All-Stars than the team had wins. More All-Stars than the team had wins. Yeah, still true. Not still not true. 
Only two All-Stars, four wins. Uh, it, that included a 0-4 road trip to wrap things up against four of the WNBA's top teams. Had a narrow loss Saturday at New York on national TV, but lost by 20 in Connecticut in the first game of the road trip and required fourth-quarter comebacks to make back-to-back losses Tuesday in Washington and Wednesday in Atlanta respectable. Jewel Lloyd, fresh off 39 points, a WNBA record, nine three-pointers, sat out the latter game due to the ankle sprain that knocked her out of Saturday's game against the Liberty uh, when she suffered it in the second half. In happier news, Gabby Williams made her debut Tuesday in Washington, saw extended action Wednesday, scoring 10 points in 24 minutes. And rookie Jordan Horston started in Lloyd's place against Atlanta and scored a career-high 23 points as part of a double-double with 10 rebounds, also added three steals. At 4-16, and 16, the Storm are now percentage points behind the Phoenix Mercury for the league's worst record this season. How are the Mercury season. this bad? Are they trying? Yeah. Yeah, they're trying. It's still Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi, right? Yeah, it's not that Diana Taurasi anymore. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> Griner's awesome. Not that Diana Taurasi. Maybe she should have <laughs> retired with Sue. <laughs> not those giants. Uh, Diana Taurasi's looking old, though. Uh, yes. She could have, they would have had such a good victory lap together. Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird retiring in the same year. Yeah. Let me just, I, people need me to write the script for the WNBA <laughs> a little bit more. We just need more white men running things in the WNBA. It would beautiful for the transactions. <laughs> in the text-based WNBA sim. <laughs> look, I mean, nobody watches these games either. All we're doing is... Cheer- we, look, we watch Caitlin Clark. That's who we watch. You're damn right, we do. Uh, would still have the best two-year combined record of the teams currently in the lottery with the other two besides the Storm and the Mercury, those being the Indiana Fever, whose 12 losses by 10 points or fewer have already tied the WNBA single-season record. At the All-Star break, the Fever having like the perfect rebuilding season where they are extremely competitive, look exciting for the future, but keep losing all these close games, including earlier today in overtime against the Liberty after Aaliyah Boston hit the game tying three at the buzzer. They're going to win some games, though. Eventually, you would think they should. Look, I don't know much about the uh, uh, plain states, I guess we're talking. (laughs) Iowa and Indiana are basically the same state, though, if we're being honest. (laughs) Are we being I do, honest here? Do not agree. Do not agree with that assessment. Think things are things are dangerously setting up for Caitlin Clark to end up in Indiana. That is what we should be concerned with. They're the number one concern, are they? They're the most likely team to get the number one pick. How many how many I would say how many percentage points if you're if you're the worst team over a two year period? I believe it's forty four percent chance at number one. And then what is number two? Still haven't looked that up. It's quite high though. It's like thirty. I I mean, I'll I'll take those odds. The storm well, but they, they can't get up to number two is what I'm telling you. Does the WNBA cheat at all in these situations? <laughs> I don't don't think they're fixing the lottery, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what I will say, point out to you, is a reminder, is that Caitlin Clark has the option of returning for her fifth season, depending okay. on which team holds the number one overall pick. So you're telling me Caitlin Clark doesn't want to go to Indiana? She if, has the option of returning to If Kaylin Clark doesn't want to go to Indiana, Indiana ends up with... The lottery happens before she has to make that decision? Well before, yes. It okay. happens early in the college season. So if Kaylin Clark is like, I want to follow in the footsteps of Lauren Jackson, Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird. Sue Bird I, in particular. I want to be in Seattle. Yes. I can take another year. Yes. Go play college basketball. Be a goddamn superstar in fucking Iowa. Yeah. Right? Basically the most important athlete in the state of Iowa. Uh, the number two team has 28% chance at the number one pick. It's 18% for the number three team and, again, 10% for the number four team. Wow. They really 
skew those odds. I get it that it's two years, but damn. So, okay, what, what are things looking like right now? So the, the big question mark, like Indiana, if they make the playoffs, that's great news for the Storm. Are they anywhere in conversation? They have slipped a little bit because, again, they keep losing so many close games. But the other team we are watching with particular interest, as we have talked about all year, uh, Indiana is now 5-15. and 15. They've lost eight in a row. Uh, is the Chicago Sky. Okay. Because the Chicago Sky were better than the Storm last season. Yeah. And very they're better than the Storm last season? Yeah. Really? Yeah, they're the number two seed, I think. Okay. So if they miss the playoffs, that's great news for the Storm. Okay. They are currently one game up on the LA Sparks for the last playoff spot at 8 and 12. Sparks at 7 and 13. Their head coach, James Wade, left last week to take the assistant coach, an assistant coach job with the Toronto Raptors. Really? Uh, then, and uh, assistant coach Emre Vatan Sebar was promoted to take his place, former Storm assistant coach. Okay. So now they have a, a rookie head coach. So we want them to miss the playoffs? Yes. Chicago? Yes. Okay. What does what does that change? Where does that put the storm? That would put them third instead of fourth in this scenario. I mean, okay, but is there also plausible. no way of them getting to first or second. Uh, I mean, Indiana would have to make the playoffs for that to happen, and that's pretty unlikely at this point. LA had nine fewer wins than them last season, so they'd have to go nine wins worse than LA if LA misses the playoffs to be ahead of them. So the other thing that I think we need to watch is where the teams are correct because not where the teams are record wise location wise so chicago does not have their pick next year is the other thing about this who has their pick dallas eh, caitlin clark doesn't want to play in dallas i think it's not just the city themselves it's also what is and literally i could not name a player who's ever played for the dallas wings wings you can't actually you've been to a dallas wings game as a matter of fact and I know you remember who played in that game. Who? Liz Cambage. Liz Cambage. Who set the WNBA record for points in a game with 53 playing for the Wings. Skylar Diggins-Smith was also there. You will notice a commonality between those two players. They both requested traits. Oh, so it's a pretty questionable franchise. I would say that that would not be at the top of my list if I were a WNBA player. Indiana is a maybe. Chicago's probably a yes. Chicago and doesn't have their pick. Okay, so Chicago's not even a chance. Zero chance. L.A., though, is a dangerous one. Yes. Phoenix could also be dangerous. Phoenix, L.A., those are the cities that we're scared of. Correct. Indiana is in, like, the lottery might happen. Indiana gets the number one pick. We might be like, okay, you're telling me there's a chance. She also would get, You also would get the opportunity with Indiana to play with Aaliyah Boston, who is an all-star starter as a rookie. So that's exciting. Is... And, but this is a very good rookie class. Outstanding. So if the Did storm... you see the photo of Cameron Brink with Kevin Hart, by the way? No. <laughs> She's much taller than him, as it turns out. Let's say that this draft class happens. The Storm end up with a third pick. Kaylin Clark stays in college. Mm-hmm. Are they too good all of a sudden? Or are they still bad enough to be in the mix for the number one pick the next year? Life finds a way. Okay. They drafted Joel Lloyd one year and still were in position to draft Brianna Stewart the next. Okay. Granted that Joel Lloyd took some time to develop into the Do player that the she would become. Is, is the team angling for this at this point? I mean, they're 4-16. and 16. Like, I think the team is frustrated with the number of losses. There's no reason to win, though. They're probably still like two games out of the playoffs. Something stupid. No, they are now four games out of the playoffs. 
It's like the Mariners could be four games into the playoffs, and we're like, it's right there. Well, there's 162 instead of 40. Okay. Is it is Caitlin Clark worth? I mean, she's going to be so developed. By throwing the time. away two seasons for if yes. she's in the draft in 2020. Yes, Caitlin Clark is worth throwing away five seasons for. I don't know about five. Five is a lot. But also, again, it's not like you're getting nobody in this year's draft. You're still probably getting. You could a very be building up all the role players or whatever. Yeah, everybody. And then the second Caitlin Clark hits, it's on. They're one of the best teams in the league. I mean, I don't know about the second that she hits, <laughs> but I mean, again, they. They have a recipe for this. They had Subert on the roster. They drafted Jewel Lloyd in 2015, and then they got Stewie in 2016, and they had developed Alicia Clark into a starter. And suddenly, that's four-fifths of a team that won two championships in three years. And we feel no, like Caitlin Clark probably would want to be in Seattle. I am, I am confident when I tell you that Caitlin Clark would like to play in Seattle. Wow. That's like a... You're giving a knowing look right now. <laughs> You're giving a Caitlin Clark wants to be in Seattle look. We're, we're deep enough into the podcast that uh, the low post listeners have tuned out. You've heard things? Wow. This is an ESPN senior analyst, Kevin Pelton, has heard things. <laughs> writer. Not analyst. Or sorry, sorry, senior writer. ESPN senior writer, Kevin Pelton, has heard things. Caitlin Clark wants to be in Seattle, doesn't she? Oh, I didn't my. say that she she wouldn't mind being Seattle and she doesn't want to go to Indiana I have not heard anything about that to be clear I've never even heard of the state (laughs) I've always wondered I could name almost 49 states that's the one I couldn't name which state do you think you're least likely to be able to name (laughs) Vermont (laughs) I don't know probably like like if you showed me a map and we're like where's West Virginia I'd be like Dog, that's too hard. <laughs> we used to go play at the playground near your ha- old house with the map. I remember that. That's fun. Brandon Roy's old school. No, but your the house that you lived at with your children oh, more recently. Oh, your, yeah. Your most recent house. They have a map on there. Yeah. I would, baby fantasy genius and I would talk about. You it. mean right here? No, over there. Okay. Yeah. At uh uh uh, uh right, right next by, to the Doug Baldwin. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Cascade Elementary. So that's going to be a real tough, tough discussion yeah, for the Lovehouse listener. Don't ask but, me where New Hampshire is. <laughs> oh, wow. The Granite State. Right, you couldn't find that. Uh, do you think you can name every single state? just Based if on you... location? I uh, let's, let's do that Sporkle quiz another time. <laughs> I think Luca could. Oh, for sure he could. He's pretty fucking good at geography. You, I'm not so convinced. He's I also pretty fucking much... good at the real Immaculate Grid. Used to be much better. All right, let's talk about UW like men's Derek basketball. Derek Lee played for the Cubs and the, and the Marlins. Yeah. I got that one. Nice. The Huskies have added yet another veteran transfer. Rutgers guard Paul Mulcahy, who played four years for the Scarlet Knights, starting 81 of his 90 games the last three seasons. Mulcahy is a pass-first player who topped out at 9.0 points per game as a junior, but averaged 5.3 assists that season, 4.9 last seasons. Hit 37% of his threes last year, is at 36% career, and has good size for a lead ball handler at six foot six. So I think he could potentially play with Husky incumbent point guards or current point guards, Severe Wheeler and Corin Johnson. But all of a sudden, in a very strange concern for the University of Washington men's basketball team, they got too many guys. Like they got a lot of guys. Mulcahy was a full-time starter in a power five team last year. Severe Wheeler was, you know, a starter most of the last two seasons at Kentucky. <laughs> They have Nate Kilmeze, who is the uh, you know the leading scorer among freshmen. Do you think this team is going to sneak up on teams? 
I don't know if they are. Like Pac-12, Pac-12 like preseason rankings. So they're going to be higher. They're going to be like eight, and then all of a sudden, I mean, the Pac-12 gonna... actually looks pretty tough, tough this year. Hmm. Like some exciting prospects in the league. So I, I would guess that they're like fifth or sixth, probably in the Pac-12 preseason rankings, without having looked at it closely. I mean, they got shooting and Anthony Holland and Moses Wood. Uh, I mean, I'd say if I have a concern now, it's like, will Wesley Yates get enough chance to play? Is like an actual freshman coming to UW? Like Yates and Corin Johnson, you worry about them getting buried a little bit and transferring, but also everyone transfers and they'll just come up with some more transfers to replace them. <laughs> it's, a, it's what college basketball is now. You just take it year by year. So, well, yeah. I never thought the team we'd be most confident in next year. Basketball wise would be the Husky men's basketball. Like like if you were to take all the sports in the city of Seattle, chances of making the playoffs or NCAA tournament or whatever, I feel like they're like pretty high all of a sudden. Yeah. They're higher than the Sounders. I and I don't even know like which team I'm more excited about just next season, UW men's basketball or UW women's basketball. And like UW women finished last season on such a high. You never would have imagined that being a possibility. I, I mean I also look at this and I'm like I've heard of Braxton and me and Frank Kepnon, and then there's just a lot of guys we're gonna have to learn. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's <laughs> that's college basketball now. Like, I know these guys. I watch Severe Wheeler a ton, obviously. Definitely remember Mulcahy. Uh, as I've said, Wilhelm Breidenbach could not possibly forget him if I tried. So, you know, Dude, I Wilhelm Breidenbach. That's worth fucking hype. <laughs> but we're gonna get to like, you know, it's that late November time and you're at a Husky football game and you're like, Yeah, did you know that Husky basketball were playing today? And you're like, Oh crap, they're yeah. playing too. It's gonna be that moment and all of a sudden we're gonna be like, Damn, this team's twelve and zero. Oh, they will not be twelve and zero. They will definitely lose to some non conference opponent. They're also playing <laughs> some some tough non conference games. I'll tell you. They might be good. I don't know if you're aware of this. They play they play Gonzaga. Who? <laughs> All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks, where today's Seahawks Twitter story du jour. Uh, I guess that's repetitive to say today's story du jour. Uh, no Seahawks defender ranked among the top 10 at their position in ESPN's rankings by my colleague Jeremy Fowler based on talking to coaches and scouts in the league. Bobby Wagner, Quandre Diggs, and Tariq Woolen, who apparently surpassed his ceiling as a rookie, <laughs> were honorable mentions. I don't care at all. This is this is the stupidest time of year. We're so close to it mattering. It's July. We're in the dregs of football. We're not even that close to it mattering. We're not close to it mattering. We're close to talking about football. Right. We're like three weeks away from talking about football. Maybe two weeks even. I Capital Block Party is like, you're like, oh damn, football's starting soon. And that's next weekend. So the one thing that I will note is, uh, first off, I don't give a shit at all about the ESPN Top 10 rankings. Uh, number two is that again they're very useful to understand how people within the league view things they're not necessarily that useful as an actual projection of what's going to happen and and the wild thing about it is that how people within the league view things doesn't matter at all i mean it does matter it matters for things like contracts and trades and things of that nature sure it doesn't matter in terms of winning and losing games necessarily and being a good defense i the one thing that i was thinking about earlier as I was naming players with Mateo that we were drafting, was like, I kind of forgot that Bobby Wagner was on this team. You forgot? Well, you just, it's like, it's like an added bonus. It is a cherry on top. You forgot about Bobby? Having Bobby Wagner back. So that to me 
is also I can't imagine ten, maybe it was just linebackers in general. I don't know if they're doing it positionally at linebacker. Uh, I let me double check. I would assume it's like, off ball linebacker. Off ball linebackers, and there he found nine players that are better than Bobby Wagner. I'm a little skeptical. Again, he didn't find them. People within the league. Found this them. is always sure, right? I, Jeremy Feller is not like choosing the players. He's talking to people and synthesizing their their thoughts, which is important work. But part of that is kind of like the excitement of players when you're synthesizing their thoughts. It's not about like actually ranking the best or the worst players. People are going to talk more about somebody who's new than they are about Bobby Wagner, who's been in the league for over a decade. I don't know that that's that big of a factor. Demario Davis is sixth on the list. Is he older than Bobby Wagner? No way. Mm, it's pretty close. Yeah, he is older than Bobby Wagner. Demario Davis is? Yeah, he's 34. Wow. So, I just, I could not care less about these things. Football in July, could not care less. I mean, I At, agree that it's not worth being unhappy about, but again, I do think if it you does matter. If you're unhappy about this. But also, <laughs> but like, you we also need to rethink some things. We also got a measure of how, what the market thinks about Bobby Wagner. He signed with the Seahawks on a one year contract for what, like six and a half million? That's fine. I am totally fine with that. Bobby Wagner is going to be good. And I think this defense is going to surprise people. Even that thing, the thing that you mentioned, like when we're talking about this, how scouts view players, they're still viewing Tariq Woolen based upon his draft position. They're not viewing Tariq Woolen based upon, is Sauce Gardner in the top 10? I mean, that's what was confusing about the, uh, Sauce Gardner's number two. Uh, the, the particular comment. Do you think comment, the difference between their rookie years is that great? It, undoubtedly, it was not. The, the scout said, I had him ranked so high in the draft. The, the same scout that said, ceiling not as high as how he played last season, said, I had him ranked so high in the draft that when he slipped, I thought I was wrong. Yeah, but he didn't mean he had him so high like first round. No, obviously. And Sauce Gardner was a top 10 pick. Sauce Gardner is a beautiful uh, 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 meeting of where he was drafted and success. Yeah. And that's what scouts love. But, I mean, they should view that. I mean, there is predictive power to where you were drafted beyond your first season. I think Tariq Woolen is going to be just fine. I agree that Tariq Woolen is going to be just fine. And I also think that Tariq Woolen is probably going to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL next year. I think Tariq Woolen may not ever record more than six interceptions in his career again. Well, I also referenced Richard Sherman on that that low post. It was a very Seattle sports-heavy low post. Yeah. Uh, what about him? That... I was referencing how Aaron Rodgers would never throw the ball his direction and how teams would ideally like to drag Victor Wembanyama out on the perimeter and just play four on four and let him chill out there if they could. Like as a defender. But I pointed out that the Packers didn't necessarily have that much strategy with that success strategy. No, kind of beat them all the time. At Lumen Field at the very least. Anyways, I don't know if Tariq Woolen will ever have six interceptions again in a season in his career. That doesn't mean that he's a worse player, though. Right. The interceptions are not necessarily a factor. Well, they're, again, <laughs> would you just say these statements that are wrong? What is wrong about that? Interceptions Tariq... are a part of your value. Every, every interception is massively valuable to the team. But Tariq Woolen is a good defender outside of the interceptions. I agree. And it wasn't he can like continue to just had interceptions. And he that can was continue it. to improve in those other areas. How long has he even well, been I mean, a cornerback? Like three years. Yeah, 
get the fuck out of here? I mean, that's, yes, it's particularly bizarre because the whole idea of drafting Tariq Woolen is, yeah, he might not be very good right away, but long term. I, so. It's just a stupid thing that was said and it was put on the internet and now we have to respond to it. It's whatever. It's nothing. Again, I think it represents a certain school of thought within the league. That's great. There's a lot of things that represent a certain a certain but school it, of thought drafted a running back with the eleventh pick yeah, in the but draft. That still matters. What does it matter to the Lions? No, it matters to understanding what other teams are going to do and how they are going to value players. Which We're is not a thing trying that to trade Tariq Woolen. Literally, what are you talking about? Well, All the Seahawks are eventually going to try to re-sign Tariq Woolen to extend him or re-sign him to a contract. And how other teams value Tariq Woolen matters to that conversation. If Tariq Woolen has the same year that he had this last year, anywhere close, he's going to get paid a lot of money. I'm sure he will, but probably not as much as Sauce Gardner is going to get paid. We will see about that. Things can change with cornerbacks very, very quickly. There are cornerbacks who are like, this is the number one shutdown corner in the league, and then overnight it can change. The, the, for a defensive player, reputation is probably more important than actual success. Yes. And Tariq Woolen has built up a very nice reputation. I'm a little surprised that somebody is saying that. It's literally just based upon draft position, and that's it. Like, what if they, what they were trying to say is, if what the scout is trying to say is, Tariq Woolen probably won't have as many interceptions going forward as he had in his rookie year. Yeah, I already said that. Maybe that's fine, but that's not about his actual ability. I agree. Also, again, by definition, your rookie season can't be higher than your ceiling because well, the ceiling is the best you can possibly be. And if you can be that good, obviously, by that, definition, that you can be that, that good. That is obvious that it's a stupid statement that you played higher than your ceiling. You played at 120% or whatever. Like, Tariq Woolen's ceiling is definitely higher than his rookie season. But I, I was looking at that and I was like, I, I think this is a stupid statement that this person made. I understand what they're trying to say, and they said the words wrong. Yeah, that's exactly what I said on Twitter, okay? You, like, you need to stop saying these things as if you've had some profound thoughts when you repeat exactly what I've already said. What did you say on Twitter? You think I'm reading Twitter? You think I'm out there being like, what does ESPN senior writer Kevin Pelton have to say on Twitter? I'm sure that's what he's actually saying, and is possibly right, but words have meanings. Yeah, words have meanings. But also, I don't necessarily think he's right. Like, why are we assuming that Tariq Woolen's going to get worse? Again, we're not assuming that he's going to get worse. We're assuming he's going to get fewer interceptions because teams will throw it in less often. Although, but also, you know, if Devin Witherspoon de develops the way you... In, fa like, maybe in fact, I think Tariq Woolen is going to get better. How about that? With this secondary, with this defense, Tariq Woolen was not in a great place as a defender last year. Tariq Woolen was on a fucking island. With the defense. All of a sudden, Bobby Wagner is there. The pass rush is better. Devin Witherspoon's on the other side. This defense is better than it was, which makes Tariq Woolen's life easier next year. If Tariq Woolen isn't better than he was last year, I would be surprised. I can, you, like, Do you understand what I'm saying, or though? more valuable? Both. But you're saying just because of the interceptions? Look, I don't think they're going to try to throw a pass to Tom Brady and Tariq Woolen's going to pick it off <laughs> next year. But, like... It's a combination of both. You know what? I'm confidently going to rule out Tariq Woolen. <laughs> we'll see. We play the Raiders next season. <laughs> confidently. The, that is, I don't think Tariq Woolen's value is just derived from the interceptions, though. But is interception is worth like probably eight passes defensed. Like, you have to be so fucking good at everything else to make up for an interception because a turnover is so valuable. But just having playing very good defense on every single snap is also valuable. 
there are a lot of snaps in the game, and one interception doesn't necessarily change a game that much. I don't know if you've talked to Pete Carroll about the stats when teams have turnovers. But also... They are what they are. Tariq Woolen might not have an interception, but if he plays good defense and Devin Witherspoon has an interception, if we have a sack, something like that, those things matter too. A punt matters. Punts are turnovers. Again, I'm not don't, saying that... Don't talk to Pete Carroll about that, but punts are turnovers. Matter. I'm just saying they are way less valuable is those components than interceptions. Are. Fair enough. I'm... I think there's an I think there's a reasonable chance that going into next season, Trink Woolen is part of this top ten in this bullshit list that no one cares about. Again, and it's a valuable resource to understand how teams within the league are thinking about things. This is the same shit we talked about with Mike Sando, where Russell Wilson was like ranked twentieth best quarterback or whatever. It's like Russell Wilson just won the Super Bowl, but GMs aren't quite convinced yet. It's like great. I don't know what year we you think that particular conversation was. I okay, you did win the Super Bowl, but, <laughs> it was well there, after but it was the still Super like GMs love Matt Stafford, like. But that mattered because GMs gave up a first round pick. But GMs gave up more than that for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was maybe one of the best trades of all time. Yeah, well, Russell Wilson had better seasons, and guess what? He moved up on the list. <sighs> Look at the list the year before. Before Russell Wilson got traded, he probably was pretty high the year before. I mean, we would have to look at last year's list, right? That would reflect... The COVID year, Russell Wilson's a fucking monster, at least for the first half. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I think GMs might have downgraded him. When? Because of the second half of that year when he played hurt. Well, clearly, clearly the Denver Broncos did not. Still should have gotten more. Anyway. Wow. Should have gotten Pat Sertan number one in the quarterback rankings. Was he? Where was he? He wasn't there, wasn't he? Number one. He was number one. These, these things don't matter. They're they're literally a combination of mild success plus draft position. That's, just, that's yeah, but that's what that's what your value is, man. I don't know what There's, to tell you. Chief. Value doesn't matter. This isn't the fucking NBA. There are other sports besides the NBA. Kevin Pelton. Like it doesn't matter what. This isn't fucking Bill Simmons trade value column. Trade value doesn't matter in football. Are you aware of that? Again, that You're translates so into the contract. Trade value? No, it doesn't. Get. get past the idea of goddamn trade value. In the NFL, people care about the games that happen. They don't just play the games on text. This isn't James Harden getting traded every three years, okay, motherfucker? Like it is a different sport. Trade value is stupid in the NFL. Where was he ranked? Right, you, you eighth. Know, eighth. But he was fourth the year before. Eighth. And that motherfucker got traded for two first round picks. Get out of here with your stupid trade value. And bring ahead of Deshaun Watson, who got more first round picks. And a trade. guaranteed contract. <laughs> I think it is important to understand how people are viewing players in the NFL. I'm just not a hundred percent convinced that these are like a be all end all ranking. I, I I think that there is it is an important thing to understand. Nothing is a be all end all ranking. How how leagues are how the other teams respectively are valuing players, but like value over contract is what matters also. And I think that's something that Trey Woolen, when you view him vis-a-vis Sauce Gardner, if he's an honorable mention on a fifth round pick contract sure. versus a top six pick con- contract is a different thing. And that's not what this conversation about. This is about, because if we we're judging strictly trade value, Trey Woolen probably I, would have a higher You're the one who trade introduced value. trade value into this. I'm just saying how teams value you 
influences the, the contract you get. I, I agree. But what I'm saying is the contract that he's currently playing on, Tariq Valen is Tariq Woolen is a more valuable player than Sauce Gardner. I mean, probably not just because of the fact that he actually can renegotiate a year faster. So this season he's gonna get paid. He is going next to off have, season. Tariq Woolen is going to have a higher value the other thing over we should, his market rate the other than thing Sauce we should Gardner. Mention is, with Tariq Sauce Gardner is being paid probably fair market value. Tariq Woolen is coming off a knee surgery. It was not a serious one. He should be fine for training camp, et cetera, et cetera. The, the it's still issue not is ideal. just the issue here is just the I, the scout that is this is not Jeremy Fowler. This is the scout saying the word ceiling. And literally, Trequel and Ceiling at this point is the best cornerback in the NFL. Of course. And look, there are a lot of players who that's their ceiling. I don't know if there's a lot. There's a good number of there players. There are probably 20 players who their ceiling yeah. is that. So saying that somebody is... They have played already past their ceiling is obviously an absurd statement. Yeah. That it's scout speak. But like... Tariq Woolen could be the best player, the best cornerback in the NFL next year. It wouldn't be shocking. Of course. And if he is, the excess value that you're getting from Tariq Woolen's contract for drafting him as a fifth-round pick is one of the best in the league. Yeah. So, that's all that I'm saying. Okay. I think Tariq Woolen has the most trade value of any player in the NFL <laughs> after Jackson Smith and Jibba. <laughs> oh, boy. On that note, we've gone... Almost an hour and a half on this bi-week podcast. <laughs> you fucking had to get, you had to get me riled up about Trey Quillen. You, I didn't force you to get, you got me riled up. You almost hit me. <laughs> I was not going to hit you. It's close. It's close there. I did say there was a conversation at dinner the other night about getting in fights. And I said that the only person, you're the only person I've ever had in my life. When I was crushing you at Monopoly? <laughs> oh, no. I think I just knocked over the table. Then. No, you pushed me in the head. You uh, don't remember this? Was that, that that night? It was Sonics versus Jazz, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, sounds right. Sonics Jazz on a Saturday night at and Katie's house. It was before, Katie's house, yeah. Yeah, before you lived there. Correct. And you were so mad that I was beating you in fucking Monopoly Can't that you pushed my forehead back. Can't play Monopoly. And I was like, I don't... Kyle was very scared. I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> I was like, can I retaliate? So I'm the only person you've thrown hands with? I think so. <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> until we had this Tariq Woolen conversation. <laughs> the great Tariq Woolen fight. On that note. Thanks for listening. <laughs>